You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. We are at the LW Milk Convention in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And today we have the opportunity to sit down with the Reverend Dr. Jameson Hardy. He's Bishop of the English District and author of Pastoral Leadership, Shepherding and Caring for God's People from Concordia Publishing House. Dr. Hardy, thanks for being our guest. It's really great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for spending some time before it gets really busy here in the convention hall. We had an opportunity to record before the convention hall gets really busy. That's actually, very quiet in here. Actually, about the last 10 minutes of our conversation. You'll hear it. Really loud. Right, right. Uh, but <laughs> you, you recently wrote a book called Pastoral Leadership, published by Concordia Publishing House. And I'm sure that phrase, pastoral leadership, is probably really loaded. What? How do you define pastoral leadership? Because I'm sure there are lots of definitions floating around in the ether about what what that means. You're right. And the truth of the matter is the book is not just for pastors. The very first chapter starts out with biblical characters and their leadership failings and mm. what they what they fail in. And I started out that way because I wanted to set the tone that it is applicable to all, both lay and clergy. The reason why the title of pastoral leadership is because a lot of the book is geared towards highlighting pastoral leadership pitfalls as well as successes, both in my own personal career, but in those that I've come across. And, you know, the biblical understanding of iron sharpens iron is really something that we need to spend more time on because the strength of any leadership skills that I have have been learned and honed by those who I've served under and with. And so for me, pastoral leadership is actually pastoral care. And so the premise of the book is pastoral leadership is pastoral care. That is to say, all the functions of the pastoral office in preaching, teaching, administering of the sacraments, visitation, all of those things that one would think about as pastoral care is actually pastoral leadership. And all the other things that come under the heading of pastoral leadership should be seen through the eyes of pastoral care. And that's the premise of the book. And so it it dwells deep into both leadership skills, but it also talks about how lay people have had an impact both on myself and the brothers that I have served as district president and bishop of the English district. And frankly, the greatest lessons I've learned have come from both pastors, but many of them have come from lay people. And they weren't setting out to teach me leadership. They were doing it and didn't even know what they were doing was teaching me how to be a good leader. So there's a lot of accounts in the book about that. And for me, this has just been a long life's work that finally has come to fruition. And I'm just thrilled that we're able to provide it. Most of leadership stuff in the Senate that we use is not LCMS. Mm -hmm. A lot of it comes by way of the Reformed Church. And so the actual leadership stuff is not bad, but the theology is a little bit wonky when it comes to what we look at in the Lutheran Church. And I tried to put a lot of the theology in this book so that we would have something in the church. And it's one of the reasons I asked Dr. Rast to actually write the forward, is because I wanted to make sure that it was something that we could offer both at our seminaries. And I've, and I've talked to President Egger as well about it, because I think, you know, if we're going to have an LCMS leadership book, we should be using an LCMS leadership book in our seminaries and our colleges. So all my dissertation leadership stuff, most of it has come from outside the Missouri Synod, because we just don't have the resources, which is the reason I accepted the, the challenge and the invitation by CPH to do it. Yeah. So you say dissertation, 
what are your qualifications for, for writing a book like this? Because I know you have a lot of experience in, yeah. in leadership. No, I appreciate that. I, I, I have a, a master's in public administration, leadership and finance, and specifically nonprofit. And I have a doctorate in business administration, leadership, finance, in specifically the nonprofit world. My dissertation was about strategic planning in the nonprofit world hmm. and being proactive rather than reactive, which, by the way, all those things come together. My dissertation was very specifically focused about strategic planning, but the concept of being proactive versus reactive is actually a leadership strategy that high-quality leaders implement. So the best of the best are going to be proactive rather than reactive. Too often in the church, I think lay people and pastors react rather than are proactive. And so where that finds itself into problematic situations are things like budgeting, trends, you know, all of these things that the church faces, you only have two ways of handling it, being proactive or reactive. And if you're reactive, you're always chasing your tail and you're never really getting ahead of the problem. You're always trying to just put the fire out. So that's, that's where, and so as a district president for the last eight years, I've spent a lot of time putting fires out. (laughs) And so I, I have a unique perspective at understanding both the lay side and and the called worker side, whether it's pastor or teacher or DCE. And oftentimes, and I said this on Sunday at my parish in my sermon, if you look deeply at your own life, most of your problems that you have in life are either self-inflicted, which is the majority of them, or by other people to you. Nonetheless, it's, you are in that, in that realm. And so that's another reason why I felt that this book was important because we have a lot of great pastors that struggle in things like time management, application. They think that preaching and teaching is the summary of their, it's the highest part of their office, but it's not the summation of their office. And, and I tried to spend a lot of time in the rest of the, of the work of being a pastoral leader in the book. I was going to ask you how, that, how those two worlds have come together for you, having, having all of the, that's higher education in business management and, and that world, but also having leadership in a church body, being a church worker, how, those, how do those two things coalesce? What have you learned from both worlds that kind of work together to, to make you a better leader as well? Yeah, I'd go back to what I said previously. I've been around some of the best in the business, mm-hmm. in, the, in the nonprofit world. Keith Ferndack, the CEO of Concordia Lutheran Ministries outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, is on the Synod's Board of Directors. He just finished or is finishing his 13th year in that post. I've been on his board of directors, on the foundation board for Concordia for over 20 years in different capacities. And, and I contend you're not going to get a better leader than Keith Ferndack. And so I've been at his feet. I've, I've learned from him. And, and now I implement the things that I've watched him do. So also with some great pastors, my pastor who's sainted now, Pastor Ralph Fisher, my predecessor in this office, Roger Patelko, who is a bishop and then was a professor at Fort Wayne Seminary. And I can go on and on with both pastoral and lay leaders who have imprinted on me. And, you know, the unique position of being bishop and president of a district brings along with it a hierarchical understanding of the office, but there still is a pastoral element to it. And because I still have a parish, I know what it's like to deal with people, not just from a you know, an exterior perspective, but also from a pastoral perspective. And so th- this is, the, I think, the greatest issue in our, in our church when it comes to leadership. We look at the word leadership as a dirty word. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the word leadership in the terms of being 
a element of pastoral care, it changes everything. It, it should change everything. And I'm, I'm hopeful that, that this book will help in that way, that people will understand that pastoral leadership is actually pastoral care. So. When do you find you learn the most about pastoral leadership? Well, I think this answer is universal for any good leader when you screw up, <laughs> when you make mistakes. I mean, truly, there is no better place to learn what you did wrong than when you're doing things wrong or could do things better. And self-reflection, and that's another thing I've, I put in the book, that when I do a lot of my reflection right before I go to bed, which, by the way, is not good. You're, lay, you know, you're, you're, you're awake. Yeah, you're laying in the bed, and you're kind of head on the pillow, and all these things go through your head about what I screwed up that day. It's not, it's not as easy, by the way, to think about all the things God did good in, in, through you that day. It's so easy to think about all those things that, that you did that you wish you could change. Mm-hmm. But yet those are the moments I think I, I, and I think any good high-quality leader, pastoral or, or lay, learns is when they see the mistakes they've made. And for me as district president, it's also those mistakes that I've seen others make. And you know, it's easy to be, it really, it is easy to be in a situation where you have no vested interest where the outcome is going to affect your life, your ability to provide for your family. You can look at a situation much more evenly when I don't have to worry about the people in the congregation who might be voting for my salary being mad at me. And so I can evaluate the situation much clearer, I believe, than the parish pastor as district president. And so that's brought on a whole nother layer of evaluation that I never had as a parish pastor alone because I was always dealing with the very people that I was serving. And so that intersection hits very hard. So I, I think learning from mistakes is not only the best tool, but I think it's God's gift. I mean, let's look at Peter, for example, in the New Testament. Peter drew his sword the night that Jesus was betrayed and cut off the ear of a centurion soldier. Jesus told him to sheathe his sword healed the man's ear. Not less than four, six, eight hours later, Peter denied even knowing Jesus. And it was in the failure of Peter denying even knowing Christ where I believe Peter was solidified as one of the greatest leaders in the Bible, because from that moment on, never again would I worry about my life and and denying the Savior. But it, it had to take that moment where Peter denied knowing Christ to save his own skin to teach him what he had to become as the rock of the church, meaning the confession that he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So biblically speaking, we have, we have example after example of those who have failed. David is another one comes mm-hmm. to mind. You know, Nathan, the prophet comes to him and tells the story of the rich man taking the, the poor man's single sheep and he should be killed. And what did Nathan say? You are that man. Immediate humiliation, immediate contrition, and never again did David at least according to the scriptures, fall and pray to that. So that, I think the Bible is just packed full of these examples where learning from your own mistakes is the way to become a better leader. What are some of the mistakes you've made that you're willing to share? Yeah, listen. <laughs> that I, you've if, learned if, from. That we can share publicly. Well, if this is private confession, we no, can't no. just shut it off. No. Yeah, I, I, can, I can give you a couple. One in particular happened very early on in my ministry. As a young pastor, I had this kind of idea that I was never going to get up and leave the room when my people talked about me because I felt that it was giving an invitation to violate the Eighth Commandment. And 
the truth of the matter is today, 23 and a half plus years later, I have no concern. Talk about me as you wish. <laughs> you know, I have confidence in what I do, why I do it and how I do it. That even if somebody is not happy with say me or what I've done, we can talk about it. And so that that's one area. Another one is just, and for those who know me well, it'd be hard for people to believe this, but you know, I, I'm not a shy person, but when it comes to serving in the office of the ministry, there is some overwhelming moments that I, you know, you got to step forward and it's not always comfortable. I think a lot of people misunderstand pastors and teachers and those who serve in the church. They're up front of these huge audiences and they, they do it with such ease, but nobody knows the internal struggle that goes on, the fear, the, the embarrassment, the go down the list of those things. And I think ultimately, you know, for me, each time I fail, whatever the failing is, it only makes me better and more solidified like Peter that never again will I consciously do that. And that comes a lot when I deal with lay people. I mean, it's very easy to get quickly angry about stuff. And I I still occasionally can find myself getting very frustrated very quickly. But the older I get, the one thing God is blessing me with is more patience to not jump immediately to anger. And I also tell the story in the book, and, and I've said this in the past, that we have to understand that when people get angry with God, the only person that a person can take it out on is the pastor or the church worker they're dealing with. And oftentimes in my own ministry, I've looked in the mirror and said, it's not about me. They're not really mad at me, but I'm the focus of the attack. And I think for young pastors and specifically, refusing to give in to that, that you're going to fight back simply because there's an attack and taking a deep breath and understanding, sometimes they just need to vent with their anger for God. The great theodicy question, why God? Recently, last week, we had a tragedy at the church. A young boy lost his life, two and a half years old. Mm. And the, the pastor, he wasn't a member of our church, but we were involved. My wife is the daycare director of the daycare where he was at. And the pastor who preached the sermon started off with exactly what I would have started off with. I don't have an answer to the question you're seeking, which is why did God allow this to happen? We don't have that answer. And so we immediately go into the gospel message, which he did, which was very good. He, he did a great job. And I think for pastoral leaders, understanding that people need to vent is something that just got to, we got to get a hold of it and we got to understand letting them vent is the most important thing in a God-pleasing way. I mean, you, <laughs> if you want to go off the rails, you know, I can take my collar off and we can go out in the grass and two men enter, one man leaves. I'm, I'm Thunderdome. I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm truly okay with that. <laughs> We're we're talking with Reverend Dr. Jameson Hardy. He's Bishop of the English District and author of Pastoral Leadership from Concordia Publishing House. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment right here on The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live Uncommon. 
Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are at the LWML National Convention in Milwaukee and recording with Pastor Jameson Hardy. He's the Bishop of the English District of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and we, he's also author of Pastoral Leadership, Shepherding and Caring for God's People from Concordia Publishing House. We're learning about pastoral leadership today, what that means, and learning from Bishop Hardy's experience, particularly through failures and mistakes and what that means. And thanks for being being honest and being willing to share mistakes and how you've learned from those as well. What do you, what do you mean when you say in, in your book, you talk about being a leader, not a follower? Yeah. What do you mean by that? Because... I mean, somebody has to follow too, right? So what do you mean about that when it comes to pastoral leadership? Yeah, that, that's really a great question because I think a lot of pastors don't understand. They, they really miss the boat on the fact that the lay people expect them to lead. I mean, whether they are good or bad at leadership doesn't matter. The common lay person expects the pastor of the church to lead the church. And that kind of, that's not a Lutheran ethos in our deep theology, like grace and mercy and, you know, justification. And so seminary, that's not something that they're going to spend a ton of time talking about. But as a district president and bishop, I can tell you, when I go into conflict situations, oftentimes the, the conflicts, if they're not theological in nature, deeply biblically theological in nature, they're going to be about a lack of leadership on the pastor's part or an overreach of leadership on the layperson's part. So either way you go, it's, it's a matter of understanding that following as a pastor your laypeople in every respect will lead to a certain level of disrespect from the laypeople to the pastor. Because they, they believe that the office of the ministry, and I believe that the office is a, of the ministry instituted by God to lead the sheep. This Sunday in the one-year series, it's the Good Shepherd text. The shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one who's lost. You don't do that if you're not a leader. If you're a follower, you're going to stay with the 99 and protect the 99 that you have. But a leader will leave the 99 secured and go after the one. And I, I, I just think that's the, that's the point when we start talking about being a leader, not a follower. Ultimately, now if you take away the religious side of it, talk to any good leadership expert, they will tell you the same thing followers do not end up as leaders. There's no place to be a follower and then become the leader if you're not at some point trying to be a leader along the way, even if you're a follower at the point. And, and that's the other thing I try to express to people. They need to understand that the definitiveness of the pastoral office is proclamation of word and sacrament. That's not a following thing. That is a declarative thing. I mean, just look at the absolution. I, as a called and ordained servant of the word, by the authority of Christ, by his command, forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's no following there. You are, you are leading the people in the command of God to forgive their sins of the repentant. And simply put, a pastor who doesn't carry himself that way will not long-term garner respect by those he leads. It, they just won't. And again, in my eight-plus years as bishop and president of the English district, the vast majority of the conflict situations come from that reality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the book, I tell a lot of stories and examples of my own failings or those I've come across as bishop and president, but I've also challenged my members where I served in Pittsburgh for 20 years at Peace Lutheran Church to find themselves in the book because they're there, and they would only know them being involved in those stories. 
And the day the book came out, one of my members texted me and said, <laughs> I see that I'm in chapter one. I said, you're above average because you're the first one that's identified that you're in the book without being named because of a, a situation where he was involved where I failed in my leadership. And he knew he was there to help me. So I think, you know, ultimately following will always end up in disaster when it comes to being a pastoral leader. It just simply will. And I know there's some who disagree with me, but I think I got some pretty strong biblical standards that I can defend that with. (laughs) And most of the time, those who disagree with that philosophy are generally followers. And that's just the way it goes. Mm -hmm. There's an intimidation factor when you are a strong leader. And the only thing that can be done with strong leaders is criticism. And if you're going to be in the office and you're going to be a strong leader, you better accept one thing. You will be criticized. Get used to it. In fact, my pastor told me in third grade when he told me I was going to be a pastor, Jim, he said, you're going to serve God in the church. And I said, Pastor Fisher, I'm going to play football for the Lions. Yes. Thank God that didn't work out. (laughs) Right? But then he also told me, they're going to always talk about you and don't let it overwhelm you. It's part of the office. That was a young boy. And to this day, that has never left me. I know that that's just a reality. Mm -hmm. It's a reality. We've talked a lot about relationships, what that relationship looks like as a pastoral leader. And you've talked about having mentors and learning from people. And and part of that is being able to listen and, and understand what people are saying. How do you learn about this importance of listening? What, what, why is this important in these relationships being a leader? That, that question is one that is in the book, actually. This story is in the book directly. But I was a circuit visitor in 2004 in Pittsburgh. And one of the parishes in my circuit was having conflict with the pastor and some lay people. The district president sent in the assistant to the bishop, who was a licensed counselor. And I watched him meet with 15. I was in every meeting, 15 different lay people the pastor. And after the, the, the 16th interview, I said to him, I said, can you teach me to listen like that? Because he didn't really say a word. He asked questions and just took notes. And I said, can you teach me how to be a listener? And he looked at me and he started laughing. He goes, not you. <laughs> and, and, and then later he said, listening is actually a skill. Mm-hmm. It's not natural. Because to be an effective listener, you actually have to have one specific thing that we never talk about. And that's genuine care for those you're listening to. If you don't have genuine care for those you're listening to, you will never be an active listener. It will always be passive, and that passivity will always be in the moment. And a pastor must be an active listener. And so for me, I learned from, from this gentleman the importance of listening and, and also reading into what you're hearing. A lot of pastoral care is going to happen with people who aren't telling you what the problem is. I was a vicar in South Dakota, and I was a campus pastor at South Dakota State University in 1997. And I remember a young man coming into my office, a young man who I had come to the Bible study and do our events, and he sat down in the office, and he started hem-hawing. Hey, vicar. I said, what's her name? Long story short, he was having some relational problems with his girlfriend. And I kind of read into just his body language and, and what he was saying and kind of made, and I was, I happened to be right. I got lucky. Let's be clear. I'm no savant. <laughs> I'm no mentalist, right? I, I, I got lucky. But the, the luck came from being an active listener and, and, and paying attention to what he was saying and what he was doing. Mm-hmm. How do you find, how do you find your mind being patient enough to listen mm-hmm. 
and then also to be able to respond in a timely way. You know, in in that situation you're talking about with a, a student who came to you, how do you listen and take the time to listen, and then also be prepared to respond? I, you know, I, as a human, I often find myself listening, but also like thinking, what? How am I going to answer this? How am I going? <laughs> what am I going to do next? What's my next step? Like, what's my next question? Mm-hmm. How do you do that patiently? Is, is there some sort of formula? I mean, this is most certainly true, I guess I would say. <laughs> is there a formula? Yeah. You know, you've seen these commercials where on one shoulder you have the, the, the angel and on the other shoulder you have the demon version of yourself, you know, whispering into your ear. This Lutheran understanding of daily we drown the old Adam and daily the new Adam in us arises through the waters of holy baptism. I think the point is that it's an ongoing fight. Look, I'm a wrestler. That's my background. I was a three-time state finalist, a two-time national finalist at the Concordia University in Wisconsin. And (laughs) the truth of the matter is, it is a lifelong wrestling match. That is just the reality. And so I'm with you, my friend. I I, got to tell you, I... There are moments when my mind wanders off to answer the question before they're done, and I, I find myself kind of in that Thunderdome wrestling match where you got to beat down that, that desire to just immediately answer and, and fight to actively listen. And because active listening is an acquired skill, you can beat it down. That is to say, you can beat down the desire to just want to answer but it's, it's a wrestling match or a boxing match or whatever you, you know, for long-distance runners, which, by the way, there's something wrong with your brain if you enjoy <laughs> long-distance running. But if that's where you get that battle, let it be. Okay, are you a long-distance runner? No. Okay, let it be. <laughs> How, whatever your fight is, let it be your fight. But for me, it's wrestling. And so I know that I have to be intentional with it. And, and again, this comes with practice. When I was first in the parish— my president of my congregation came into me about a year in, and he said, Pastor, whenever you're talking to people, you should sit down. What are you talking about? He goes, you're a large man, and by nature, you lean in when you talk. And, and I'm not trying to get you, he said, to change you, but if you're sitting, you're less intimidating. And so ever since he said that to me, when I have a member come to me, I find a seat and I sit. It's you see it's it's ingrained in me that battle is is engaging immediately because of what he told me again twenty three years ago. So I th- I think it's a it's a work. So what's the formula? You got to wrestle the demon. Mm-hmm. I mean you you have to fight it in whatever analogy you have in fighting. Beat it back because it will always be the temptation to just want to fix the problem or jump in and, and answer it pastoral leadership, shepherding, and caring for God's people by the Reverend Dr. Jameson Hardy. Thank you so much, Bishop Hardy, for being our guest on the Coffee Hour and sharing your stories on pastoral leadership with us today. Appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. You can find more at cph.org. You've been listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Anywhere.